Say hello to a new friend on an old road. Take a two-lane trip of memories into mysteries unknown. Come along for the ride. Jim Hinckley's America. Jim Hinckley's America. Hey, good morning, everyone. This week on Wake Up With Jim, we are taking a walk on the dark side of Route 66. Give a shout out there to Joe and Woody and the boys of the road crew for our theme song. If you need a theme song for your Route 66 adventure, take a listen at roadcrew66.com. Also need to give a shout out to Miss Connie Eccles, the Wagon Wheel Motel in Cuba, Missouri. Not only is she a wonderful host, she's a great steward of this incredible time capsule. The oldest continuously operated motel on Route 66. Even in an era of ruthless outlaws such as Bonnie and Clyde and John Dillinger, the Young Brothers Massacre stands out. On Saturday, January 2nd, 1932, a particularly tragic incident, proclaimed in banner headlines throughout the country. It claimed the lives of six officers from the Greene County Sheriff's Department and the Springfield, Missouri Police Department. Until the horrors of September 11, 2001 in New York City and Washington, D.C., the massacre held the record for the largest number of law enforcement officers killed in a single incident. Before even reaching their late teens, Paul and Jennings Young had established a reputation in the Springfield, Missouri area as petty thieves with violent temperaments. Both would receive short prison sentences for breaking and entering after robbing a store near the family's Brookline farm. And by the late 1920s, Paul, Jennings, and Harry, the younger brother, had developed a reputation in Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas, and southwest Missouri as thieves and brokers of stolen merchandise. Evidence for arrest and conviction, however, proved elusive, even though the family farm was searched often. The young brother's crime spree took a violent turn on June 2, 1929, when Harry Young murdered City Marshal Mark Noe of Republic, Missouri, during a drunk driving stop. Harry fled to Texas and lived under the alias Claude Walker while working for a dairy farmer. He also assisted his brothers in the development of a multi-state automobile theft ring. Federal and state officials initiated an intense investigation into vehicles that were stolen in Springfield, Joplin, and surrounding communities and sold in Texas and Oklahoma, as well as vehicles that were stolen along the Route 66 corridor as far west as Tulsa and Texas, then sold in Missouri and Arkansas. These investigations soon expanded east toward St. Louis and into Illinois. They had determined a common focal point, Springfield, Springfield, Missouri. A few days after Thanksgiving, 1931, the Springfield police received an anonymous tip that Jennings had visited the family farm on his way to Texas with a car stolen in Illinois. Before Christmas, another reliable tip claimed that Harry had also stopped at the farm. Shortly before New Year's Day, their sisters, Lorena and Vianita, were seen in Springfield driving a car with Texas license plates. 
The next day, the sisters attempted to sell a Ford sedan with Texas plates to a Springfield auto dealer. When questioned about the title, the sisters offered to return the following day. The dealer, suspicious, notified the police. Chief, Chief of Police Ed Waddle now felt certain that the brothers were at the Young Farm seven miles west of Springfield. As County Sheriff Marcel Hendricks was out of town and as the farm was in county jurisdiction, they decided to postpone raiding the farm. But shortly after noon on January 2nd, 1932, Lorena and Vanita returned to the dealership and were picked up for questioning by Detective Lee Jones and Virgil Johnson. The sisters would not confirm or deny that the brothers were at the farm, but Chief of Detectives Tony Oliver gathered enough information to believe that at least two of the brothers were waiting for the girl's return. Oliver and Chief of Police Ed Waddle met with Sheriff Hendricks, and the decision was made to raid the young farm that afternoon. Hendricks returned to his office for rifles and additional deputies, and Oliver added the available guns at the police department to the arsenal, including a tear gas gun and gas shells. Springfield Mayor Thomas Gideon was informed of the raid. He had hunted on the young farm, owned property just to the north, and he was able to provide the detailed information about approaches to the farmhouse that the officers needed. The sheriff, his regular deputy, Wiley Washburn, his special deputy, Ollie Crosswhite, and Detective Sid Meadows and Virgil Johnson joined Detective Chief Oliver, Patrol Driver Charlie House, and Detective Ben Bailu for the raid. Before leaving the station, Detectives Frank Pike and Owen Brown, along with civilian R.G. Wegman, joined the raiding party. At the northeast corner of the Young Farm, about three miles south of U.S. 66, Chief Oliver, Hauser, and Bailu waited until Hendricks arrived with Mashburn, Crosswhite, Johnson, and Meadows. Based on information provided by the mayor, they decided to launch the attack through the orchard, which would provide cover behind the barn until they were close enough to the house. This also allowed them to cover the primary exits from the farm. The officers approached the house without incident and briefly wondered if the brothers had learned of the raid and vacated the house. That had happened on previous occasions. Encircling the house, Crosswhite said he heard somebody walking around inside. Detective Sid Meadows, Virgil Johnson, and Ben Bilo stepped onto the front porch, knocked on the door, and announced their presence. There was no response. Deputy Sheriff Crosswhite, patrol driver Hauser, and Deputy Sheriff Mashburn went to the rear door of the house and called out to the brothers. Crosswhite began peering into windows. And according to later reports, Sheriff Hendricks, standing several feet away from the southeast corner of the house, lit his pipe and said, Well, hell, I don't like to go back without finding out for sure whether or not those fellows are here. What do you think we'd better do, Ollie? Cross White, who had participated in several investigative raids at the farm, suggested, I don't know for sure, but I'll bet they're here someplace. I guess we'll have to kick in a door if they're not going to open up and come out. The police shot a tear gas shell through a window. The sheriff and Mashburn positioned themselves near the kitchen door. Oliver positioned himself behind a tree to cover them. Hauser stood by the lawn gate, and Detective Sid Meadows took cover behind a nearby tree. Detective Ben Bailo stood close to Oliver, and Detective Frank Pike and R.G. Wegman were ordered to the rear of the cars to watch the barn and shed. Detective Owen Brown and Deputy Sheriff Crosswhite took up positions at the northeast corner of the house. Sheriff Hendricks and Deputy Mashburn knocked on the kitchen door. 
They called out the boys' names. Detective Johnson, with Mashburn on his left and Hendricks on the right, shoved hard against the door over their shoulder. It opened enough for Mashburn to step inside. He was immediately blasted on the left side of his face by a shotgun at point-blank range. Sheriff Hendricks reportedly said, God, boys, they mean business, as he stepped into the opening to the left of Mashburn. He was shot at point-blank range in the chest, a fatal shot. Mashburn, critically wounded and blinded, stumbled back through the door. Detective Johnson fired the tear gas gun, but it misfired and the shell landed on the porch roof. The surviving officers began a retreat towards the vehicles in a hail of gunfire. The brothers inside moved to the front windows of the house. They opened fire with rifle and shotgun. With the remaining officers pinned down and unable to move, Johnson reached a patrol car as bullets shattered the windshield. Under heavy fire, he started the car and turned it in the yard, placing the vehicle between trees and the house. This allowed Detective Ben Balow and R.G. Wegman to scramble into the back seat and speed away to Springfield. Charlie Hauser, covered by officers, attempted to move to the side of the house, but died instantly with a gunshot to the head. Crosswhite made a run toward a blind corner of the house and arrived without injury. Brown followed. Crosswhite slowly made his way west along the north side of the house under the windows to a side door. Finding it locked with a shade drawn, he made a dash for the outdoor cellar at the back of the house. He crouched behind the cellar entrance waiting for Brown, but one of the brothers had moved to the rear of the house to check the flanking move, and he opened fire. The shot was high. The fellow officers assumed that Crosswhite had been hit when they saw his hat fly from his head. Brown turned, vaulted the garden fence, and raced toward the barn. Detective Pike, Detective Meadows, pinned behind a tree without ammunition to retire and fire, was shot in the head. The gunmen then turned their focus toward Pike and Brown, and Pike was wounded in the arm. The gunfire was not returned as the officers were now out of ammunition, and the brothers shifted focus to Chief Oliver's position. Oliver was grazed at least eight times before being shot through the right shoulder. As he attempted to retreat to the cover of the sheriff's car, he was struck in the back. The bullet passed through both lungs and severed an artery. It was a fatal wound. At this point, the brothers requested the remaining officers surrender. Brown and Pike, assuming Crosswhite was dead, retreated toward the cover of the barn under a hail of gunfire. Both men were wounded multiple times. Crosswhite remained pinned at his position, but attempted to prevent the gunman's escape through the kitchen door. But he was being outflanked. Now out of ammunition, he was executed at point-blank range. The number of gunmen and their identities, except for those of Jennings and Harry Young, were never confirmed. The murderers robbed the lawmen's bodies before fleeing through the cornfields toward U.S. 66. Detective Virgil Johnson, with slight wounds from shotgun pellets and glass, reached the police station. With the assistance of Detective Ben Balow and R.G. Wegman, he spread the alarm, gathered guns, ammunition, and additional officers. The contingent was joined by reporters from Springfield Evening Press and Springfield Evening Leader, and near the junction of U.S. 66 and the county road leading to the Young Farm, Detectives Owen Brown and Frank Pike, who had escaped the melee, were picked up and returned to Springfield, Pike for medical attention and Brown for questioning. Brown related that Hendricks, Mashburn, Hauser, Meadows, Ann Oliver, and most likely Crosswhite were all dead. At the lane entrance south of the young house, the officers evaluated the situation. They were unsure how many gunmen occupied the house, if they were lying in wait or if they had escaped, 
Lon Scott, a World War I combat veteran with a rifle and bandolier of ammunition, volunteered to reconnoiter the area, first by climbing a wire fence and by then slowly crawling through cornstalks toward the house. At the crest of a small hill, he noted the lack of movement at the house in a barn with a car parked inside. Carefully, he moved forward, and after evaluating the situation, returned quickly to the road, now crowded with police and armed citizens, reporters, and ambulances. Accompanied by Lee Jones, Detective Grover White, and Roscoe Gaylor, Lon Scott began an extensive investigation of the barn, outbuildings, and henhouse. There was an expression of astonishment when they discovered that Deputy Sheriff Wiley Mashburn was still alive, but he would die of his wounds before morning. A nationwide manhunt, extensive investigation commenced immediately. Members of the Young family in the Springfield area were arrested as accomplices in question. Paul Young surrendered to Houston authorities and was able to provide evidence that he had not been at the farm during the shootout, but he was tried and convicted of interstate vehicle theft. Jennings and Harry Young were tracked to Houston, but when surrounded by law enforcement, they chose suicide by gun over surrender. There are many questions about the Young brothers' massacre that remain unanswered. Though conclusive evidence was scant, there was evidence indication that Harry and Jennings Young were not acting alone during the shootout at the family farm. When the brothers died in Houston, they were in possession of a Ford that had been reported stolen in Springfield, Missouri, at 8.50 p.m. on the evening of the massacre. However, the car they had been driving during their escape was a car stolen from Halltown, east of Springfield. It had crashed in a ditch near Streetman, Texas. Harry and Jennings Young were not carrying the firearms stolen from the deceased officers or the satchels they had hurriedly packed at their mother's home near Springfield during their escape. This was confirmed through testimony given by H.D. Carroll, the farmer who had aided them after the crash near Streetman. And the drug salesman from Fort Worth or the businessman from Corsicana, Texas, who picked them up while hitchhiking to Houston. Still, the satchels were found at the Houston cottage where the brothers committed suicide and the guns they used to do it had been taken from the officers killed at the Young Farm. So who was their accomplice? Well, that's the first in our series of a walk on the dark side of Route 66. On Wednesday morning, we're going to be talking about uh, the terrifying trail of murder and mayhem along Route 66 by cockeyed Billy Cook. You won't want to miss this one. Hey, if you're into road trips, I want to give a shout out to the road trip professionals at Route Trip USA. Take care, my friends. We'll see you on Wednesday morning. Say hello to a new friend on an old road. Take a two-lane trip of memories into mysteries unknown. Come along for the ride. Jim Hinckley's America. Jim Hinckley's America.